1: so excited to be back you like my new haircut our listeners can't appreciate it yeah you had a pandemic do that would not quit I know I know I I had a COVID haircut which is to say uh the last time I got my haircut was like eight months ago and I was like oh I just got my haircut no 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 it was it was October and uh finally couldn't take it anymore so uh but no (laughs) one can see it so uh, that's boring anyway Ilya who is on the show today we have a duo. We've got Carrie Williams and Mike Delatori from the hit
2: Sundance movie, Emergency. Awesome. Awesome. And, you know, not only a Sundance movie, now available on Amazon. You can find it on Amazon, and I highly recommend everyone check it out. It's absolutely worth watching, and uh, you'll get a nice preview of it right now from the interviews, but you should definitely go watch it. It was in theaters. Now it's on Amazon. Worth watching.
1: Excellent, excellent. But let's get into our close focus today, which is a kind of an observation that both of us have been having, but I don't feel like... I haven't heard it framed this way in the press, and I would end it with a question mark. Is Are we at the end of peak television? I
2: think television has finally jumped the shark, yes. I think that we are on the decline. I think that if Ben Katz can add taps or if like a funeral march or something right now in the background, something like that would be very appropriate because uh, with the merger of warner media and discovery networks and the cancellations of so many shows oh my god it's it's insane how many shows they got canceled i mean things that were were big that had like you know studio executives behind and dc universe stuff all kinds of things it's just like they're falling to the wayside
1: yeah buddy of mine i i probably shouldn't mention the show but a buddy of mine was a director on one of the shows that got the axe and it was like fully employed directing episodic television and it was one of the DC shows and then like just bloodbath you know a few weeks ago just just all gone but then on top of all that we've got Netflix which you know we I know we talked about it on the show a couple weeks ago Netflix losing subscribers canceling shows And for a while there, it just felt like there was uh, maybe too many shows. Like, I I don't want to say a glut, but I'm sure that all of us had this experience where someone was like, hey, are you watching? uh, Yeah, Yeah, anything. Ozark. You know, I I watched Ozark. But like, are you watching Ozark? And you'd be like, oh, oh, no, no. I mean, it's on my list of something I'm going to get to one day. And there are just so many like amazing premium shows. And we talk to the people who make them here all the time. And I'm hopeful that it's more of a pause in peak TV and peak TV can keep going back up. But for now, a lot of people are out of work. Yeah, and
2: TNT and TBS have just both announced that scripted shows are going away. No more scripted shows for, for them. That's a pretty big content change. And you know, scripted shows are often very expensive, some of the most expensive programming you can do. So it's like, what is that saying about what those networks are going to become? They're going to become not a destination for anything scripted or original. It's going to be unscripted. It's going to be cheap shows. It's going to be shows that they can, you know, uh, slap together and put out into the world. So
1: reality shows and
2: stuff. Reality. Yeah. I Uh, mean,
1: it's, you know, but like HBO Max isn't going to go for that. But since HBO is owned by Warner Brothers and Warner Brothers has now merged with Discovery, I mean, Discovery has sort of been wreaking havoc in its own way on network after network as it acquired networks and made them more uh, cost efficient. This is just my opinion. I don't run a network, but I feel like you go, okay, well, we're cutting costs and we're making stuff at a at a lower cost, but you're also not keeping the library alive. So in 10 years, you're going to have to keep reinventing new stuff. You're going to have to keep starting new stuff and trying it out and throwing more stuff at the wall because you don't have as much library stuff that to support you. Whereas if you kept stuff like... I don't know, DC's Legends of Tomorrow on the air. Maybe Legends of Tomorrow isn't making the big, ginormous numbers, but it's able to pay for itself. But characters will spin off of that, or it'll get reinvented, or maybe one day it becomes a bigger hit. And to me, it's very penny-wise and pound-foolish, in my opinion, to be cutting all the stuff. Then again, obviously, these people, they have a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders, and they have to make the most money, and that's why these people make the big bucks. You know, I'm not there... I. I would rather there be too much amazing television out there than uh, a bunch of reality shows. I don't need a bunch of Duck Dynasty in my life. You don't need some more Real Housewives? I I need no more Real Housewives.
2: You know, uh, HBO was not immune to things like Race by Wolves canceled. And, you know, it's not like it was small or unsuccessful series that got Canceled and if you haven't seen the full list, those lists are out there. I'm just going to say like things like the 4400, Charmed, Dynasty, Naomi, Roswell, New Mexico, Batwoman, Legends of Tomorrow, gone. Oh, and In the Dark. All those are gone. There were a few shows that were renewed, of course, but it'll be interesting to see if this ends up being the moment, the the time when television jumped the shark, as it were, and peak television started its decline. And uh, and who knows? Well, maybe it'll be like 2004 all over again, where we all start watching Fear Factor. So.
1: I don't know. I hope not. I hope it drives people back into movie theaters and then people can watch movies again, because we've also all had the experience of watching a TV series that was, you know, 12 hours long and said, oh, that would have been really good as a two and a half hour movie. I hope so as well.
2: Uh, let's get to the interview. Why don't
1: we do that? It's, it's about time for that. Let's get to the interview with
2: uh, Carrie Williams and Mike Della All right. The Cinematography Podcast Interview. Hey, I am joined right now by Carrie Williams and Mike Della Torre, the creative team behind the new Sundance debut, Emergency. It's a feature film. I just watched it. I really enjoyed it. Gentlemen, thank you for being on the cinematography podcast.
0: Hey, thank you for having us. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Thank you.
2: Carrie, let's start with you. Carrie, uh, tell me a little bit about how you and Mike met up and how you guys found each other for this job.
3: Well, it's been so many years ago. Let me see if I can remember. <laughs> um, no, I, I saw a music video that Mike shot and I was newly in LA and I was trying to build some, some community and, and you know some collaborators and I reached out just blindly. I found out who shot it and you know, I was like, hey man, love this video, love what you did. Maybe we can do some work together sometime. He was nice enough to hit me back, you know, and was like, yeah, man, I'm I'm down. Let's, let's meet up. And, um, is that about accurate, Mike? Pretty much. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Some, sometime in the early 2000s, uh, <laughs> like 2002, 2003, you know, okay. and then we just, and then we just kept shooting music videos and music videos and short films and over the decades now, essentially built not only uh, an artistic and professional relationship, but a, a great friendship over the years.
2: Well, that's been like 20 years then. Well, congratulations, guys. That's a, in Hollywood terms. That's like, you know, your silver anniversary or something. You guys have been, <laughs> been together I a know. long
3: time. That, that's great. Yeah, we have. And he hasn't gotten sick of me yet at <laughs> <I don't>... all. <laughs> uh,
2: I know Emergency was originally a short film that also debuted over at Sundance and was uh, was a big hit there. Tell us about the the dream story that so many filmmakers have about making a short film and having that expanded into a feature.
3: For sure. Yeah. I mean, we, we made this short in a program called Project Involved, which is a bit with Film Independent. And I met the writer there, Katie Dabula, and we, we made the short and, you know, we, we felt like, Hey, this is risky, you know, the, the subject matter, the way we're handling it, but you resonated. And, you know, we, we did well at Sundance and went to South by. And I was in an interview live. And they were asking, what are you guys gonna do with the, the short? And I just was like, we're making a feature. Like I didn't really even think about it. <laughs> and um, so Katie was like, uh-oh, did you really just put me on blast like that? And I was like, okay. So we started meeting about it, about how to make it into a feature. And thankfully Katie was down to explore that. But you know, she wanted to make sure we had a good way into it. And she found that way of making it one night I really wanted to have that opportunity to explore the characters more with this larger campus. And she got to writing and thankfully we were able to connect with the production company Temple Hill Entertainment and um, they got it to Amazon. Then we were, you know, off to the year of waiting. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, things take so long. It's like, you know, you got to have multiple things going on because you'll go crazy waiting. But that's part of the game. You know, you lots of meetings, you know, get notes and you back and forth. But I will say that Temple Hill and Amazon were both very supportive of the vision and definitely were great collaborators in making it happen.
2: All right. So, Michael, I understand that you gaffed the short originally, and now you're, you shot the feature. Did you have a couple of extra M18s to play with, I'm guessing? Do you have a couple extra of, like, you know, uh, <laughs> toys? I'm sure it was a slightly different experience from shooting the short to shooting the feature. But how did it feel sort of like, you know, get the band back together and to, and to do all this?
0: Uh, I mean, it was great. I mean, it was, it was one of those projects where, like, you know, Carrie was doing it through Project Involved. So everyone's there kind of as a group. So, you know, because it's like you don't have a lot of money to shoot these shorts. And they told me about it. I'm like, dude, I'll come out there work for free. And it's Carrie. So I was like, I'll, I don't care. I'll come out there and do whatever I need to do. So that was fun to be part of it. And I just, I just wanted to be part of the short. And then when the opportunity came to shoot the feature, I was like, this is no brainer, man. And um, knowing Carrie for such a long time, like I, there's a shorthand there that really resonates. And also I feel like I've done uh, Emergency is my seventh feature. So like having that knowledge, I kept wanting to bring stuff in, being like, this is what's going to happen. We should be ready for this. Carrie is a very visual director and has a specific idea of how things want to be shot and either camera movement and placing of the lenses and everything. Sometimes it's like, okay, so I had to figure out stuff like rigs, camera placements, the way way to like, you know, we had like a right angle prism because we were in the van quite a bit. And that van was very difficult to shoot. We actually shot that all on LED screens because of the driving. And um, because we only really had two vans, we couldn't cut holes in them or anything like that. So, to get like interesting angles, we had to find ways. So, Panavision made me a right angle adapter and things like that. But yeah, like I always knew that Carrie was going to come up with something very visual, very interesting. And that challenge is like, it, I love it. It's like, it's like what gets me going. And it's like, Oh, cool. I can, how can I figure this out? And like my, you know, my artistic mind starts going into my engineering mind and actually breaks it down that way. And, and you know, that, that makes it so much, so interesting for me and so much fun. Like, even though at the end of the day or the end of the night, because we shot all nights, (laughs)
1: uh,
0: you feel fulfilled, especially once you see the final film.
2: Well, it, it's a very high end look. I mean, it really is. It's a it's a high end look. It, it betrays what your budget then probably was. I mean, it looks like you guys had no needs that went unfulfilled for all this. And uh, Carrie, can you talk a little bit of just about maybe the process of getting into the um, look design of the whole show with with Michael and how you guys came up with this, uh, you know, very sort of slick and glossy and very
3: polished look for the film. Sure, man. You know, we would meet, you know, on Zoom and and talk through. Each scene. Like, so I I went through the script and made a shot list for every scene and shared it with Mike. And then we would meet and talk about each scene. You know, he would talk about lenses, you know, what lenses we could do this scene with. But we also talked about the visual feel of the scenes, you know, just like beyond just the technical, like what lenses. And he put together this great lookbook from shots of films that, you know, he pulled together and shared it with me and then you know I would put some stuff in together and we we had this thing to reference that gave us the feel of what it was and that to me is like you know as he said I'm very visual so it's like I want to see like what does this movie look like before we get there you know and so you know that's nothing new you know that's people do you know you make lookbooks, but I feel like Mike was very meticulous about each scene this is how I think it would feel, and then we had that back and forth and that was very helpful before we got there. And, you know, Mike's also very, um, he's very technical. He hit both of those things and, um, you know, to have that partnership before I got there to the day made me feel very, very comfortable, you know? Um, I already feel comfortable with Mike as a, as a, you know, friend and collaborator before, but this was the biggest thing I've done to this date and his level of detail, you know, and attention to the detail made me feel even more comfortable going in.
0: So I'm thankful for that.
2: Mike, anything you want to jump in there before I go on to the next question?
0: Thanks, man. Yeah. We're a good yin and yang collaboration, I feel too. Uh, Emotions were very important for us and the vulnerability and everything like that. And it was like, sometimes we would just go back to what the key emotion was for that scene and say like, what's going on here? What, you know, Kunle should feel pressured or Sean is scared at this point you know it's like things like that just kind of like it bring you back to like what it's about and and then you take the the kind of like all the mess away and just kind of hone into like what what the heart of it really is
3: yeah I will say one thing too that I was very concerned about with this film was the nighttime stuff because it was all nighttime not looking like it was like a spotlight on things it at night which I hate and when I see movies and, uh, I kept, you know, drilling on, oh, we got to make sure it looks like night, you know, how dark can we go? How dark can we go? And Mike was like, don't worry, we got it, you know? And so the end result, I'm very happy with, cause I was like, I better not see no spotlight in the woods. <laughs> it's like,
0: <laughs> yeah, we were, we were very much like, uh, this is this too Scooby-Doo, you know, it's just not like no smoke. I, mean, I think all the way we used any smoke, even like, okay. you know what I mean? Just like, as natural feeling as it could be to really make the audience feel like they're with these guys.
2: It is a very intimate story. And it's one of those movies that takes place over uh, essentially 24 hours or even a little bit less than that. But Carrie, do you want to do like the elevator pitch, the 30 second synopsis sort of the whole thing?
3: Oh, yeah. So basically the movie centers around two friends, Sean and Kulay, who are about to go on, embark on a epic night of partying, the legendary tour, as they call it. And they go home before they're about to uh, go on this night of partying and they find a young white girl passed out on their floor. And with their roommate, Carlos, they are basically trying to decide what to do about this thing because, you know, a natural impulse would be to call the cops for help. And Coonley feels like that's the thing to do, but Sean disagrees wholeheartedly. So the film becomes basically them trying to... You know, Sean convinces them not to do it and them trying to to bring her to safety. And there's a domino effect of what happens each choice they make of trying to get her to safety. And through that process, uh, you know, a lot of things are revealed between the two characters of how they feel about each other and how they see the world. And uh, in that, it's, I think, hilarious. It's heartbreaking. It's dramatic. It's uh, in all those things. And hopefully raises a lot of questions for uh, people that see it, who may feel like, oh, they could have just called the cops. And then other people are like, no, they absolutely couldn't. Um, you know, it's two, two friends who have two different worldviews that are revealing things to each other. And uh, that's kind of it in a nutshell. I'm really bad at these elevator pitches, man. I kind of ramble a little bit. So you know, no, no, I don't think so at all. I think I, I, I think you summarized it
2: actually really perfectly. And I got one question. You know, I grew up in a couple of places where uh, having run-ins with the police and having the police not be that friendly to you was actually not uncommon. too. and twice I got stopped by cops and uh, held at gunpoint, and it is absolutely terrifying. It is uh, probably the most terrifying experiences of my life. Having it happened twice. And I'm curious if if either of you have had this happen, because one of the things that you capture so well in this movie is when Kumle completely just loses it because th- this is happening to him. And I, I just want to find out, did you have any personal experience with this? Have you also had a, a, a run in with the cops where, where you were uh,
3: gun pointed at you? Or you didn't know what was going to happen? Oh, absolutely! I've been profiled many times. <laughs> it's this, this not, yeah. I mean, it definitely pulled on some personal experiences uh, to get into the head of what that. It didn't take. It wasn't hard for me to pull from personal experiences for what Kool-Aid is going
0: through. And, and Mike, I know you. You and I talked about some of your experiences. So you want to share? Yeah, you know, man. I, I mean, I grew up in Compton and Watts, and South Central Los Angeles. So there was uh, many times, I mean, actually during the LA riots, I think I was 11 years old and um, we were in the wrong place and stuff. And, uh, but also like, you know, as a a kid growing up and I remember getting pulled over one time and actually having them do the whole thing where like the hokey pokey, where you like open the door with your right hand from the outside and put your left foot out first and all this shit and come up and turn around. And then there's like all these cops pointing guns at you and you're just like, what in the world is going on? Um, you feel very the the time just stops and that's kind of also like we shot a lot of off speed stuff during that scene for that same reason where it's just like time just slows down and just everything just feels awkward and you're you're almost even your focus like you're not you don't know what to focus on because you know essentially you could your life is is being threatened so you know th- there's that part of it and then I've actually had times where you know been detained for just being in the wrong place and it's just kind of so you know you take all that with you we took that fear into everything and also you know like one of the things i could point out too is that like with the police we never see the police's face and that was something that carrie and i came up with saying like you know we just wanted it to feel like it's almost kind of like a scary movie in a way where they're like you don't quite see whatever the monster or the scary thing is but it's there it's present it's looming and it's something that, that, that is real. And that was actually a very difficult scene to shoot, not logistically, but emotionally, personally, for a lot yeah. of people. Um, yeah. I came over to one of our good friends, Lindsay, who, who unfortunately passed away earlier last year. And she just, she, we both like gave each other a hug and sighed, and we're like, this is, this is so hard to do. Just because even though we were, we were making believe of something and it just was so difficult for us to do because emotionally it was like, it was happening to all of us. And I think it comes through and then Donald just kills it. So you're just like, wow, <laughs> oh my God, you just pulled my heart out. So yeah, it's a beautiful. And then, and then Carrie went in there and really just kind of got them into their place. And it just was, you know, it was, we, we just, we all, you know, we were all firing that day. There was no, there was one of those, those days when you're in the zone. And that was the day where everyone was like, we, we were all just zoned. The whole day so you know and it i feel like it comes through and i'm very proud of that
2: it's a magic climax of the movie and i gotta say like you nailed it you guys captured it it's like you see being profiled, featured in movies and television shows all the time. And it's almost it's treated as like this non-emotional sort of like throwaway sort of thing. And the, and the reaction from so many of the, the actors, the characters are in those scenes just completely betrays what it's actually like. And this is the first time I ever saw something. I was like, that is exactly what it's like. That is absolutely exactly what it's like and is fucking terrifying. You did nothing wrong, but man, you you don't know if you're going to be still breathing five seconds, you know, five seconds from now. It's it's really yeah w- well done. And uh, I, I know we're just we're out of time here. But uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for being on the show. Really glad that we could uh, sit down and talk for a few minutes and can't wait. People are going to get to see this. I know you guys have the, uh, you know, uh, participation with Amazon. So I'm assuming it's coming to Amazon in a in not too distant future. Is there a website or something now if they want to uh, if people want to find out more about the movie or anything? Is there someplace people can go? will be on prime on the 27th of may all right well we'll really soon watch for emergency coming to uh, amazon thanks gentlemen really appreciate it thank you thank you for having us man yeah hey well that was Kerry williams and mike delatorre thank you so much for being on the show ben guess what time it is
1: is it time i don't have a good joke time to pay the
2: bills <laughs> Time to pay the bills. So, we got to thank our good friends over at Aperture, maker of fine LED lights for motion picture, television, content creation use. And they have some really interesting sort of offshoot products. They're not branded Aperture, but they are every bit an Aperture product. They're, they use another name called Amaran. And Amaran has got a brand new fixture that has literally just started shipping. We got our first truckload today over at Hot Red Cameras, at least 20 or 30 of these. F21X lights came in off a truck, and it's a two foot by one foot bi-color LED flexible fabric light, which is essentially something that's about as thick as like, I don't know, a piece of cardboard, and you can tape it to a wall, but it's actually an LED light, and it uh, it's it's really impressive. It's got a soft box, got a bunch of things, doesn't take up much power, and that's pretty darn bright. It gives you full color, and uh, it costs about 600 bucks. It is pretty tough to beat that if you need something that you can roll up and throw into a bag. It doesn't take up too much space. Uh, the aperture slash Amaran F-21X is well worth taking a look at, especially if you need something easy and lightweight to travel with, which a lot of people
1: do. Awesome. Awesome.
2: And now, short ends. So, Ben, we've reached that time, that time of the show, the short end time. What is your obsession uh, this week?
1: My obsession, uh, you know, as we're talking about Peak TV, I just binged a series that I'd been looking forward to for a while on Hulu. And that is Pistol, which is sort of a quasi biopic of Steve Jones of the Sex Pistols. And uh, also of Jonesy's Jukebox.
2: Of course, of course. Yeah, which is only relevant to people in Los Angeles who've heard his radio show,
1: but still. But legendary uh, punk guitarist. And it's directed by Danny Boyle and shot by our great friend, Anthony Dodd-Mantle. Anyone who uh, has listened to the show has probably heard me suck up to Anthony Dodd-Mantle. I'm a (laughs) massive fan of his work. I would say, as I've talked to people about Pistol, it seems to split people. A lot of people like it. A lot of people don't like it. And I think I have figured out why. Hmm. I feel like it isn't a pretty okay biopic of the Sex Pistols. As told by Steve Jones, who's like, when you think of the Sex Pistols, unless you're a massive fan, you probably think of Johnny Rotten and Sid Vicious. They are characters in the series. They're they're in there, but it's about Steve Jones. And weirdly about Chrissy Hind of The Pretenders. Like, Chrissy Hind is a major character in it, but there's a lot of people. Billy Idol, uh, Susie Sue. There's a bunch of punk characters who kind of show up in there. But I feel like it is more of a Danny Boyle story than it is a Sex Pistols story. And I'll explain What that means years ago i and i think i even ran this by anthony dodd mantle i don't remember his reaction but i kind of decoded what it is that a danny boyle story is and here's the danny boyle story danny boyle story is weird outsider infiltrates somebody's bubble and screws up whatever it is they're doing like completely blows up their plant and that's train spotting that's 28 days later that's the entire plot of the beach i would argue that sunshine is that i would argue that slumdog millionaire is that and this is about steve jones who kind of gets in with uh malcolm mclaren and infiltrates malcolm mclaren's weird subculture that he's trying to cultivate in britain malcolm mclaren is trying to bring down britain uh, i don't
2: don't mean to to interrupt you because i could be wrong here is it malcolm mclaren or marshall McLuhan?
1: Marshall McLuhan wrote. Uh, Medium is the message. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, Malcolm so. McLaren was the uh, producer. He, he's kind of the guy who assembled the Sex Pistols.
2: All right, gotcha. Okay, because which is awesome. But uh, for a second, I was like, I don't know who this Malcolm McLaren. Yeah, guy yeah. Marshall is. But I do you know who Marshall was. McLuhan is? And I was like, Is Marshall
1: McLuhan somehow related to the Sex Pistols? I was like, My mind was about to be blown. That but would be no, pretty amazing. Was, yeah, yeah, no. But. Like Malcolm McLaren was kind of like a weird punk rock dandy who. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the old <laughs> punk rock. He dandy had something to trope. do with with the New York Dolls. He's very young, and uh, the actor who plays him in Pistol, I think, nails what kind of a the specific kind of weirdo that he was but basically it's like malcolm mclaren is trying to like bring down britain and has these revolutionary ideas about what he's going to do with rock and roll music which is a little naive when we think about it now and then steve jones kind of gets into his thing and then johnny rotten gets in and it's like a russian nesting doll of people blowing up someone else's weird subculture that they're trying to create uh, the guy who plays johnny rotten comes very close to kind of capturing the insane energy of John Lydon. Uh, the guy who plays Sid Vicious, like, perfectly nails Sid Vicious. It's freaky. But what I love about it is the Danny Boyle-ness of it, the way it's shot, the Anthony Dodd-Mantles photography. It's framed in a 4x3. I didn't look into this, so I could be crazy wrong, but I'm willing to bet they shot it on 16mm. That's what it looks like. It's got a beautiful, bloomy, awesome look. I think the character stuff is interesting. It does not, in my opinion, it is not trying to transport me to the time and place and make me feel like I was really there. I feel like it is a very impressionistic series that's trying to make me feel like what it felt like more than understand the literal, like, this is what it it was like. You know, there's a certain magic to it. There's a certain charm to it. There's a huge sadness to it. And uh, I would encourage anyone, who's thinking about checking it out, watch it as a Danny Boyle thing. Like watch train spotting and then watch this and you'll see massive overlaps. And it and it is gorgeous. Anthony Dodd Mantle, as always, nails it. Well, I'm really
2: looking forward to it. I haven't tried it yet, but there is actually a billboard for pistols right uh, down the street from my house. And so I see it every day and I keep thinking, I got to watch that. I'm watching something else on Amazon right now. As soon as that's over, that's probably the next thing for me.
1: Yeah, a uh, uh, random thing. Uh, my son plays soccer with the kid of the guy who does all the key art for FX or who did the key art for Pistol. Oh, wow. So he's he's like the art director. So he's always doing those massive campaigns. They
2: do have some really great key art and their billboards are pretty spectacular. I got to say they're very eye-catchy and colorful. Yeah, yeah. I remember when Legion popped up and that was all oh, yeah. over Los Angeles. And holy crap, is that some great art? If I don't know if it's, if it's also him, but man, that's fantastic. Anyway, so Ilya, what
1: is your obsession of the week? Wow.
2: Well, it's actually, it's a pretty recent thing. It was just announced today. And so I guess maybe it's my obsession today. You know, I'm a big fan of the Fargo television series. Love, love Fargo. Very uh, thrilled that it's coming back because I kind of feel like each season they keep kind of raising the game and it gets better and better. And the cast is just incredible. And no exception for season five. They've just announced the cast is going to include John Hamm. Mm. of course John Ham everyone knows uh, who do John Ham is. he's everywhere and everything and he's he's great uh, Juno Temple maybe most famously currently of uh, Ted Lasso and Jennifer Jason Lee just mm. sort of like the three big names they've announced. And boy, uh, Fargo goes dark and it gets creepy and it goes into all kinds of like, you know, skullduggery sort of intrigue. And I, I can't wait to see what they, they get to with this cast. It's, it's going to be great. So I've been thinking about it all day as soon as I read that. And uh, man, I, yeah, I can't wait for Fargo season five now.
1: Excellent. Well, I mean, they just announced it, so they're not filming it yet, I assume, or are they?
2: Probably not. Well, they don't have it. There's no information about director, no information about cinematographer. There's not a lot of stuff out there, but they've just revealed the cast. So who knows? Uh, I mean, but I mean, it was only 2014 that it debuted back on FX, and I feel like they've been really prolific since 2014. I feel like each time it comes out, I'm really grateful that uh, the show comes back. And even though there's a, a break between them, they don't feel the need to really try to Carry a through line through all of them. They kind of reinvent it themselves each time, and it's, yeah. it's spectacular. I, I love it. It's great. It, you know, not not since like Watchmen, the series have I felt like there was another series that really went out to reinvent itself and completely succeeded
1: the way Fargo has. That's great to hear. No, I'd love to check that out. I'm I'm excited about that. All those actors are great, and it's interesting too. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee it might be one of the first actors that I know of in the series who's worked with the Coen brothers before. Not that the Coen the Cohen brothers don't do the Fargo series, but like obviously it's based on their it's mostly based on the tone they set in the original Fargo movie. Like it's interesting to make a tone sequel that's not in any way a literal sequel.
2: Yeah, and, you know, if you think back of cast, I mean, the cast has just been incredible, including like, you know, previous seasons like Chris Rock and Mary Elizabeth Winstead
1: and Ewan McGregor. Oh, wait. And- I'm, uh, yeah, I'm totally wrong. Billy Bob Thornton. Billy Bob Thornton was in the first season and he's, he's all over the Coen brothers. He's been in a few of their projects. Exactly. So yeah, there, there is some stuff like that as well too, which is great. So, all right. So Ben, where can people find you if they want to find you? I know you say that with a sly smirk, but you can find me at Benrock.com, just the way it sounds. Benrock.com. You can find all my social medias and all that stuff. You can also go to uh, Facebook and join the group. Where's uh, You can go to Facebook. Where's the werewolf?
2: Where It's kind of like Where's a, Waldo, but it's werewolf.
1: Where's, where's a needs wolf? Um, you can go to Facebook and join the group, needs a werewolf, and you'll find me and my friends there goofing on werewolf stuff you know funny thing about facebook uh you start a group about werewolves and eventually people come to the group expecting that someone there knows how to bite you and turn you into a werewolf and they're not joking that did not happen no it happened for real happened yeah and i had to like say nicely to the person like this is just kind of an entertainment thing like we're not no one here believes in werewolves werewolves not not real no no one except for that one guy the one guy
2: yeah Oh,
1: wow. Anyway, uh, where can people find you? Uh,
2: I still can't get over the werewolf guy.
1: (laughs) I I mean, you can go there and and find it. He's like, who who will bite me? Firstly, he said, who can bite me and turn me into a a werewolf? And then he said, no one can bite you and turn you into a werewolf. And we're like, dude, you're giving us really mixed messages here.
2: Oh, okay. I'm crying a little bit. Um, you Sorry. can find me over at hot Rod cameras, <laughs> hot <Hotradcameras.com, laughs> which uh, this episode comes out on Wednesday. And if you're local in Los Angeles and there's still tickets available, you can join us for our first awesome in-person event. Really real, like sort of like big in-person event since the pandemic. When I say big, we are selling tickets and limiting the number of people. So it's not going to be that big, but uh, it's going to be awesome. It's called Cinebeer. it happens the day after Cinegear which is of course the big trade show that goes on this week this time it's going on Thursday through Saturday on Sunday starting at 2.30 uh, over at Hot Rod Cameras uh, we are doing this incredible food, drink and equipment demo extravaganza and we're going to have a lot of big companies there showing uh, new stuff that has never been seen before which is pretty cool and of course some of the other stuff that is out there that just you want to get your hands on but yeah lots of uh, lots of cool stuff I just booked today Fujinon is going to be there or Fuji film will be there with their new uh, sort of mirrorless camera that records ProRes internally and all kinds of other cool stuff. So Schneider's going to be there with their Isco for all new affordable anamorphic lens set and all kinds of good things. So, uh, yeah, we're selling tickets. It's on Eventbrite. And if uh, you're in Los Angeles and you want to come to a cool party, it costs 25 bucks, but you get 20 bucks back in store credit for Hot Rod. And uh, it'll be a really good casual networking event. And yes, vaccination is required. So you will have to show awesome. your vaccination card to get in.
1: Yeah. But unfortunately we won't be doing a live podcast.
2: We will not be doing a live podcast. Not this time. Maybe next year. Tisk, tisk, tisk. It was only one too many things to to coordinate and negotiate. I'm still trying to, you know, cross some I's and dot some T's right now to finish things up.
1: Anyway, so Ben, let's thank some people. All right, well, let's start by thanking Ben Katz, whose life I personally have not made very easy in this particular recording session today. But I really didn't make it easy, so (laughs) the failure was all over here on the set. Oh, we should say, Ben Katz is our editor, holy crap. We hand him a pile of garbage and then he makes a coherent (laughs) podcast out of it. It's pretty amazing. Hey, Ben. Look at all this garbage. (laughs) (laughs) I found all this. I found all this in the dumpster behind the Shonies. Can you make a podcast out of it? And then you're like, holy crap. When I listen to the podcast, I'm like, oh, my God, he did such a great job. We should thank Kez who created every scrap of music that you've heard. and And even the parts that weren't scraps. And then uh, supposedly we're going to be getting some new music from him, like uh, possibly Ooh. some ad music, some uh, some other, yeah. So uh, thank you, Kays, for all your hard, diligent work. We love your music. Go to musicbykays.com. Hire Kays to score your next movie or whatever. And lastly, but never leastly, we should always thank... Alana Cody, our intrepid producer, who kicks all the ass, gets us all these amazing interviews. And if you like listening to this podcast every week, you have Alana Cody to thank. She has been the uh, the guiding force and the engine to keep this going every week for the last what three years now, four years,
2: something like that it was oh before the God.
1: pandemic. So you know, it's been holy a while. Christ, it was a different time. <sighs> <laughs>
2: Anyway, so uh, Ben, I think that just about does it for us. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening, and we will see you, or you will see us, or maybe you'll just hear us you'll next hear us, week. You're not going to
1: see anything. Yeah, there's no
2: seeing involved. Unless they go to the YouTube channel, and then they can see us a little bit. A little bit. A little bit.